Hey, it's great to see all of you here. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for joining us online as well. Um, if you have your Bible, go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. So those of you that have been here the last little bit, we're going through 1 Corinthians and kind of broken up into little mini-series. You know, we just, we just finished going through 1 Corinthians 5 through 7, talking about love, sex, and dating. And then we're hitting this one today. We're going to kind of fast forward to the end of 1 Corinthians and look at chapter 15. So that's where we're going to be at today because it's all about the resurrection of Jesus. And so we're going to camp out here today. Next week, we'll start a new series as we tackle chapter 8. So 1 Corinthians 15 is where we're going to be, um, looking at this amazing historical event of the resurrection. So uh, we're going to read verses 1 through about uh, 6 to get us started. So you please stand in honor of the reading of God's word. We will get after it. So just a little perspective, Paul writes this letter to the church in the city of Corinth in about 54 AD. Paul had planted this church only three years before that, about 51. And so he knows these people he's writing to, and he's addressing specific questions that they had. And so uh, this question he's looking at is all about resurrection. Let's read this together. Verse 1. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel that I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which... You are being saved if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, that's Peter, and then to the twelve. And then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. And then he appeared to James and then to all the apostles. And last of all, as one untimely born, he appeared also to me. Let's pray together. Lord, as we come to this moment, Jesus, we're just in awe of you. We're so grateful for your resurrection. We're thankful that you are alive and you're not just a, a dead idea of a God like many religions espouse, but you are the living, true, one God of the universe. Thank you that you love us. Thank you that you came for us. Thank you that you went to the cross on our behalf and you stood on the cross in my place and in our place to receive the punishment that my sin deserves so that I'm free. I'm free to trust in you. I'm free to be forgiven by you. The only thing I gotta do is place my faith and trust in you. So God, I just on the forefront of this morning, I just pray if anyone's here or watching online that has never trusted in you, Jesus, that today would be their day when they can experience the amazing reality of being saved, being born again, being justified, becoming part of your family. And God, we just pray that you fill us with your hope today because your resurrection is all about hope. And so God, may you be honored. And not only what we hear, but even more importantly, how we all respond. May that please you in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, go ahead and be seated. Well, like Martin said, if you um, have the app, you're going to open that up and pull up the sermon notes or you should have received those on your way in. Um, today, it's big thought. And this is not an overstatement. This sounds like a kind of an overdramatic statement, but it's really not. This is as true as true can be. And here's the big thought of the day. That the whole truth and power of Christianity rests on whether or not Jesus really did rise from the dead. That's a true statement, amen? 
It all rests on that. So that's what we're going to unpack today. We're going to look at this text. We'll actually look at this whole chapter. Um, we'll move quickly, I promise. Uh, but we're going to look at this whole chapter because Paul really impacts a lot of things about resurrection. And we're going to look at kind of the, the intellectual side of things first. You know, some facts, details, historical evidence of resurrection. Then we're going to kind of look at some of the, the heartstrings, you know. So like, um, how, how is this going to work and some of the practicals? And then we'll look at being inspired. Why does all this matter? How, what does this mean to me today? So that's kind of going to, going to look at this issue of resurrection today in our notes. So number one in your notes is, did the resurrection of Jesus actually happen? Yes, that's right. That's letter A, the answer. Yes, it happened. And we say it happened evident, based on evidence on two key areas. And the first is that the tomb was empty. The reality of the empty tomb is one key piece of evidence that this really happened. If you look through history, you go and you study this, and I've looked at tons of books on resurrection, looked at Christian history, secular history, just looking at what was the different accounts, perspectives of this event that happened in roughly 33 AD about the resurrection. You know, there's biblical texts. Of course, there's also other historical texts. There's writings of a Jewish guy named Josephus who was not a follower of Jesus. There's writings of this Roman named Tacitus. He, not only was he not a follower of Jesus, he hated Christians. And so, but yet he still writes about this event. And so you look at all of this and there's, there's something that happened. But what you see in all of the historical accounts and explanations they're all trying to do one thing. They're all trying to, to explain why the tomb was empty. None of them try to explain, well, it really wasn't empty. It was, it was Jesus' body was there all along. Here's the body. That never happened. Never in history was the body ever produced. Of course, we know why, because it wasn't there. He rose, right? But, but what are some of these explanations? So just real quickly, Let's hear Paul talks about in this explanation of the gospel, the reality of the empty tomb. He was dead. He was buried. But he rose again on the third day. He was witnessed by all these people. So something happened. What are these other explanations? Well, the first explanation by those who don't want to say Christ was raised from the dead, try to, there must be some other explanation. Here's the first, is that the disciples stole the body of Jesus. This is actually explained in Matthew chapter 28. Um, so Jesus had risen. The guards were terrified. They didn't know what happened. They couldn't explain it. They just know that the body's gone and they're thinking they're in trouble because Roman guards who were guarding a tomb, if the body was missing, they got in big trouble. Usually they got executed for failure to perform their duty to guard a tomb. So they knew they were in trouble. So here's what Matthew records. While they were going, behold, some of the guards went into the city and told the chief priest all that had taken place. And when they had assembled with the elders and taken counsel, the leaders here gave a sufficient sum of money to the soldiers and said, now they're supposed to normally execute them, remember that, but that's not what they do here. They say, no, tell people this. His disciples came by night and stole him away while you were asleep. Go on. And if this comes to the governor's ears, talking about Pilate, the main dude, right? We will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So they took the money, they did as they were directed, and this story has been spread among the Jews to this day. Hmm. Well, here's some problems with this. The Roman guards were the best trained people of their time. Death was punishment for failure, so there's no way they would have let this happen. They, the stone also was way too large just for a couple of guys 
to move. It took a whole team of people to move these massive stones because the stone, the stone in front of the tomb was a big round stone and they would have dug like a little trench for the stone to roll into and even create and implement a locking mechanism so it would roll down and all of a sudden lock and seal into place. So just for a couple of guys to be able to roll this massive stone is just unthinkable. And why would these fearful disciples want to steal the body and then many of them later on die for the lie? That doesn't make sense. I mean, we know the disciples were terrified. If you uh, have ever read the gospel accounts of when Jesus was arrested, the disciples were terrified, right? They all began to run. In fact, in Mark's gospel, Mark says that one of the, one of the disciples, one of the young guys was so scared and when the Roman soldier grabbed his tunic, he ran right out of it, running around in the nude. He included that story in there. It's crazy, right? But that's how scared they were. So there's no way that in just, just two days time, two nights, 20, you know, about 48 hour period, they go from being that terrified to having enough courage to rally together and say, all right, we're gonna take the guards, right? We're gonna go get his body. That's just, just not, not a plausible possibility. That's explanation number one. Number two, is that the women simply went to the wrong tomb on that morning, right? They went to the wrong one. They went to 102A, not 102B, right? I don't know. They went to the wrong place. But here's some problems. If, if they went to the wrong tomb, then so did Peter and John. So did the angels, Jesus' tomb location was well known. I mean, it was a very public ordeal, them taking his body off the cross and taking his body to the tomb and placing it in the tomb, locking the stone. This was, this was a public event. People knew where the tomb was. Also, the Jewish or Roman authorities at any time could have simply produced the body. So no, you went to the wrong tomb. Here's the right one. Here's his body. But again, they never did that. Third explanation. This is called the swoon theory, is that Jesus didn't really die. He just kind of passed out and later walked out of the tomb. This is a pretty popular one. Problems with this, the Romans were expert killers. I mean, they knew when people were dead. Biblically, we know that while Jesus was still on the cross, it was kind of getting late in the afternoon on Friday. And at night, the Sabbath begins Friday sundown, so they wanted all of the criminals to be dead by sundown so that Sabbath would not have been violated. So the guards were gonna go out and they were gonna break the legs of the criminals. That would expedite death. And that was a pretty normal custom. When they came to Jesus though, one of the guards took his spear. Remember the story? They, they stabbed the spear into Jesus' side, up into his heart and pulled it out. Only water came out, which shows that he was already dead. But the swoon theory says he really wasn't dead that they take his body off, they put him in the barrel, and they, they, in the tomb, and they wrap him with the cloths that were prescribed for that time. Then they would put about 100 pounds of spices on his body and gum just to you know, just kind of mummify the, the whole the, the, the corpse. So this theory would say that here's Jesus locked inside of this tomb, pitch black dark. He woke up, but he's in all of these wrappings, gum, 100 pounds of spices, and Somehow he wiggles his way out, unwraps himself, cleans up his stuff, folds his garments neatly, and then goes to the stone and by himself pushes this great stone out of its locking mechanism, rolls it out by himself, and walks out of the tomb. That's a pretty far-fetched theory, if you ask me. Any, any agreement with that? Yeah, okay. The next theory, number four, the disciples simply made up the whole story, just made it up. Well, claims of the empty tomb 
were mentioned in the earliest of Christian resources. We just read it in 1 Corinthians 15, written only 20 years after the event. We also have Peter's sermon in Acts chapter 2 recorded. That was maybe preached just a few weeks or months after the event. He talks about the resurrection. We have the Gospel of Mark, which is the first gospel written only about 15 years after the event. And why is that a big deal? Because if this was just a, a made-up story that kind of became legend, it usually takes several generations for something to become legend. This was going on within just the first decade of it actually happening. And the fact that these sources were written in such a time when many eyewitnesses were still around who could simply come forth and say, no, 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 no. That's, I was there. That's not the way it happened. We don't see that. That does not exist. And so all of this gave excuses for why the grave was empty. And these disciples, you know, they, uh, what happened to them because of the lie, so to speak? They're all executed because of their faith. More importantly, they're all executed because they said they saw a dead guy come out of the tomb. Now, I don't know about you, but if I've told a big whopper lie, I'm trying to keep the dream alive and keep the lie alive, but it comes to the moment where I'm about to be executed publicly for it, I don't know, wouldn't you just kind of say, okay, okay, I, I like my head where it is, <laughs> firmly attached between my shoulders. It was all a lie. I, I would not let them kill me over a lie, right? Well, all 12 disciples end up dying for their faith. John was exiled now on the Patmos. Um, he was the only one that didn't directly die, but he was exiled and he, history says he died there because of what he said he saw. So the tomb was empty, undeniable. What's the greatest explanation? How do you explain an empty tomb based on all the evidence? And there's so much more evidence. We're not even covering a hundredth of it that he really did rise again from the grave based on the empty tomb. But secondly, the other piece of evidence is the presence of many witnesses. The presence of many witnesses. Just the biblical account gives us kind of a rundown of the different witnesses that saw, experienced Jesus after the crucifixion, after the resurrection, alive. Mary Magdalene, she's the first one there in Mark chapter 16, John 20. Other women that came with her, according to Matthew 28. The report of these soldiers we just read about in Matthew 28. Um, and, and the Gospels of Mark and Luke tells about these two disciples on this road to this place called Emmaus. And Jesus, resurrected Jesus, walks with them, travels with them on this road, eats dinner with them that night. We have the report of those two disciples to others that's recorded in Luke 24. And they say, oh, how our heart burned within us when we were talking to him. We have the assembled disciples gathered together in a locked room and Jesus just shows up. Mark 16, Luke 24, John 20. Then we have a separate event of that when Thomas, doubting Thomas, joins this, this, the show, so to speak. And he comes in there and that's in John 20 and 1 Corinthians 15 also mentions this, but... Thomas is there, and Thomas said, was the one that said, I will not believe that Jesus is raised unless I see the scars and touch the scars and know for myself. And it's pretty quickly after that, Jesus shows up, and he makes a beeline toward Thomas. He says, here, Thomas, feel touch. And Thomas felt the scars, and it's an amazing response. Thomas falls on his knees, and he's the only one in, in the Gospels that were followers of Jesus that said this. He said this to Jesus, said, my Lord my God, we worshiped him. That was eyewitness experience. You have seven disciples in John 21 who are fishing. They see Jesus on the shore and they say, hey, it's the Lord. And they go over there and have breakfast with Jesus. He's resurrected. That's when he restores Peter. The 11 meet Jesus in Galilee, Matthew 28. James, the Jesus's little brother, who was not a believer that Jesus was the Messiah until he met the resurrected Jesus. And he says, okay, 
I'm convinced. And James would go on to become the pastor of the church in Jerusalem. Acts 1 and Luke 24. Disciples in Jerusalem see Jesus. Saul, who becomes Paul on the road to Damascus, Acts chapter 9. And then Paul here mentioned more than 500 people witness the resurrected Jesus. This is profound. Because again, at any time, any of these people could have said, hey, that's not the way it happened. None of them did that. So one scholar says this. He says, if we, had, if we only had an empty tomb, but no eyewitnesses, critics would have concluded that the body was stolen. If there were only eyewitnesses, but no empty tomb, they would have concluded that the witnesses were deluded or hallucinating. But the two together make for convincing evidence. So true. So, yes, it happened. Secondly, because it happened, let it be the resurrection is the foundation of everything we believe. I mean, Jesus was a great teacher. True? Yes, true. He was filled with love and compassion. True? Absolutely true. He performed miracles. True? True. But what was the event that really demonstrated, authenticated Jesus as really being the son of God? It was the resurrection. It's when Jesus came out of that tomb alive, forever conquering death. It's the foundation. That's why we said this statement is a big thought, that the whole truth and power of Christianity rests on whether or not Jesus rose from the dead. So here in our chapter, here's what Paul, all the different things Paul teaches about this. So he first addresses, okay, so some of you are saying that Jesus is not raised from the dead. Well, here's what that would mean. First, he says in verse 15, if Jesus didn't rise, then all of the apostles are liars. Peter is a liar. James is a liar. John is a liar. Even Paul himself would be a liar. Verse 17, if Jesus did not rise, our faith is futile, worthless, pointless. <clears throat> if you don't believe that Jesus came out of the tomb alive, what are you doing here? Right? Why are you here? Man, go play golf or go fishing. This is a waste of time if Jesus is not raised. That's exactly what Paul is saying here. If Jesus did not rise, our faith is futile, pointless, wasted. Also, verse 17, if Jesus did not rise, we're still in our sins. We are hopeless at ever having any forgiveness. We are condemned. We are dead men and women walking. If Jesus did not rise, then those who have fallen asleep in Jesus have perished. Verse 18, <coughs> Thursday we held a memorial service for a, a lady in her church family named Laura, Laura Vansel. She had battled cancer for 23 years. You know, and you talk to her and she was always so upbeat, so positive, filled with faith. Just a, an amazing, inspiring lady. And what gave her so much hope was the reality of resurrection. She knew that she would ultimately be healed by Jesus one day. It was pretty interesting. When she first got diagnosed 23 years ago, her, son, her youngest son, Brendan, was two years old. And, her, and she was given six months to live when she was first diagnosed. And she prayed, Lord, just let me live long enough to see Brendan go to kindergarten. That was her prayer. Well, she saw Brendan graduate from college. And she also saw her first, and at this point, only granddaughter born, little baby Nora. So God extended her. God was faithful and gracious. 
But what gave her hope that whole time was she knew resurrection is true and real. When we did her memorial service, I mean, there was some sadness. She'll be missed. But there's also this celebration, this realization that Laura's doing great now, right? That she has truly been healed. She's in the presence of Jesus. She's, for the first time, she's healthy. She's whole. It's great news. But Paul's argument here is the resurrection, if the resurrection didn't happen, she's gone. What a different memorial that would have been. Paul says in verse 19, if Jesus did not rise, we are to be most pitied. It would be right for us to go walking down the street, people to say, bless their heart, right? We're to be pitied. So kind of sum it all up, if Jesus did not rise, we have no hope. We could be nihilists, it just doesn't matter. Eat, drink, be merry, for tomorrow you die. That was a common quote in Paul's day. So you see, the whole truth and power of Christianity rests on whether or not Jesus rose from the dead. So Paul's conclusion, here in verse 20, says, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. He is risen. So Paul makes a big transition here. He says, look, if, if he's not risen like you're saying, then all this is true. But he is risen. So none of that's true. So what is true? Because he is risen. If Jesus is alive, so what does that mean for us? And so now he goes to the next thing, which is number two in your notes, to address kind of the practical things. So some of you ask me, what about this resurrection? We go, we go all the way down to verse 35. So someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? What is it going to be like? Have you ever thought about that? What's it going to be like in the resurrection? When you and I, after we die, Jesus returns, the dead in Christ rise, we put on, put on the resurrected body. What is that going to be like? Has anybody ever thought about that before? Anybody? Just a few of you? Okay. Well, let me tell you, it's going to happen, right? Because the resurrection did happen, and therefore it will happen. So what's that going to be like? What kind of explains it here? Verse 36 says, you foolish person, what you, what, you, what you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And what you sow is not the body that is to be, but just a bare kernel, perhaps of wheat or of some other grain. So the first thing we see, letter A, is now we're kind of like the seed, but in the resurrection we'll be the full grown plant, right? Now, what does that mean? I don't know. Not sure. You look at Jesus' resurrected body, it was a little different, wasn't it? It's kind of interesting. So you're in a locked room. All the doors are locked. All of a sudden, Jesus shows up. That's different, isn't it? Yeah. Now, that'd be nice if we were to go to one of those escape rooms. We needed that trick, right? But uh, we were not able to do that in this body. Jesus could. He did. He just, walls, door, locked doors were not an obstacle for him. Don't know how that worked. Don't know the science of that, the mechanics of that. Also, we know that he walks all day long, all afternoon with these two friends on the road to Emmaus. And they don't recognize him, although they had known him really well. He kind of comes up to him and says, hey, what's going on? Of course, he totally knew what was going on. But he says, hey, what's going on? They're like, man, where have you been? So they start telling Jesus all about Jesus, which is pretty comical. So they travel all day. They, and they invite him over for supper that night. So he goes and eats with them. And he gets around the table. And you know, they're just talking, having a good time. And then Jesus breaks the bread. And they recognize him. Hey, it's Jesus. And he's gone. He vanishes. Don't know how that happened. 
different. But yet we see Thomas, when he touched him, he's not apparition, right? He touched physical matter, flesh. It's different, right? We see that he eats, John chapter 21, eats fish, seafood's on the menu. That's good. Um, but so we see all these things and um, don't know. Right now we're like a seed. We're going to be like the full grown plant. Secondly, verse 42 goes on and he says, so it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable, but what is raised is imperishable. Cannot die or eternal. Letter B, we will be eternal. Your bodies are designed in the resurrected state to live forever. That's a long time, right? Forever. Forever. Eternal. Verse 43, he goes on. It says, it is sown in dishonor, but it is raised in glory. Sown in weakness, but raised in power. We will be glorious and powerful. Think about this, you know, I think, and I really believe this, and we joke about this some, but I don't think it's a joke, I think it's real. I think we're going to look good. I think we're going to be in great shape. I don't think there's any pot bellies in heaven in the resurrection. I think we're all be able to sing well, put, put American Idol to shame. I think we'll all be great athletes. We'll just have a great time. We're going to be the better than the best of us. Far better than the best of us. Because we'll be glorious and powerful. You know, all the, all the jokes will be true. You know, no more losing hair and, you know, all that stuff, right? All be true. Um, and I love to think about this. It's so hopeful, isn't it? Just think about these things. I mean, right now we have aches and pains. Um, I just had gout in my foot. That's crazy. Just... None of that stuff exists. No more cancer. None of that. It's going to be good. Verse 44 continues in his explanation of the, the practical side of things, what this, what this will be like. So it is sown a natural body, but it'll be raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there's also a spiritual body. Thus it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being, but the last Adam, which is Jesus, became a life-giving spirit. But it is not the spiritual that is first, but the natural, and then the spiritual. The first man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. So as was the man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust. And is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. So here we will be physical and spiritual. See, right now in this, in this life, we're born physical, but we have to be born later spiritual, right? That's why Jesus talks about being born again. So we're born physical, but we're born spiritually dead. That's why Jesus had that teaching to Nicodemus. It's a great encounter. John chapter three, Nicodemus is a very devout religious guy. He knows the scriptures in and out, and, but he, he's curious. He knows there's something about Jesus. He knows he's missing something. And so he's kind of drawn to Jesus, but because of his position and his reputation, doesn't want to be seen in public yet, so he kind of comes at night. But he comes to Jesus and he says, I know you're from God because no one can do what you do unless you are from God. 
Jesus then kind of cuts to the chase and says, truly I say to you, unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. I love the honesty of scripture here. Because what does Nicodemus say? He didn't go, oh, oh, that makes sense. No, he didn't say that at all. He goes, wait a minute. How's that supposed to happen? I'm supposed to get inside my mother's womb and come out a second time? Implied, you, right? That's what I think anyway. But that's what Nicodemus asked. Very logical question. But then Jesus goes on and explains, look, that which is born of flesh is flesh. And then that which is born of spirit is spirit. So don't marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. So you may ask, what is that? that? When does that happen? Well, we know biblically that happens when you and I place our faith and trust in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. It's when we did what Peter and what Dale has done or what Beth has done or from first service, what Zach and Pat have done. It's when they surrender their life to Jesus because they recognize that God is a holy, just, but also loving God and that we are woefully sinful and therefore separated from God. But Jesus, God's son, came in the flesh to dwell among us, lived a sinless life, and then offered his sinless life on the cross in our place to pay for our sinful life. And he died. Our sin killed him. But then Jesus defeated sin and defeated the consequence of sin, which is death, and rose again from the grave, securing for us this freedom to trust in him, to be forgiven of our sin, cleansed, and to be born spiritually as he places his spirit within us. That's salvation, folks. And that's being born again. And that's what happens the moment we place our faith and trust in Jesus the resurrection of the physical and the spiritual perfectly reunited. In the letter E, we read here also, we will sinlessly bear the image of Jesus. I mean, just imagine this. A first day in glory, the first day in a resurrected body, we'll wake up and be perfectly in Christ's image. We won't feel any jealousy, no hatred. We won't feel any anxiety. Anybody ever get anxious about anything? Nervous, a little worried. Hope this meeting goes well. I'm going to be late. How many of you get stressed out when you're running late? No anxiety, no worry, no dread, no suspicion. Hmm, what did he mean by that? None of that. No one will be suspicious of you. No self centeredness, no impatience, no feeling this insatiable draw to something like. Liquor or heroin or crack or meth or porn. No lust. No distraction. No unhealthy, unholy craving of the body. None of that will be there. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine what it's going to be like just to be filled, to be consumed with the perfect love and joy of Jesus in her heart, to know that unspeakable joy every single moment. Just imagine, just imagine the most joy-filled moment you've had in life so far. Maybe it's when you saw your first child for the first time, right? I remember seeing Sydney be born and 
I was just overcome. I, I didn't expect it. I'm not a super emotional guy, right? I was just overcome with this emotion. And I started weeping like a, I was crying more than she was, right? And just holding her and just overwhelmed with this sense of love and, and joy and a little fear, like what in the world's going to happen now? You know, <laughs> what am I going to do with this thing, right? But just overwhelming, just emotion there, just joy. That's nothing compared to the unspeakable joy we'll have every moment of every day from here forevermore. Just having that perfect. The psalmist says it like this in Psalm 1611. It says, you make known to me the path for life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. What's it like to have the eternal joy of the Trinity pulsating inside of our hearts? Man, I I can't wait to find out. Paul says in Philippians chapter three, he says, our citizenship is in heaven. And from it, we await a savior, the Lord Jesus, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body. That's resurrection. By the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Let's get to the last question, number three. This is the why. Why does all this matter? Why does the resurrection matter? Why is, why is it a big deal? Well, first, it's a huge deal because resurrection gives us hope over death. We read here in the text, get on down here to, to verse 54. So when the perishable puts on the imperishable, And the mortal puts on immortality. Then shall come to pass the saying that is written. Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? Death, whether it's your own, death of a loved one. It's probably life's hardest experience because it feels so permanent. A lot of you are living this reality. I'm living it. It feels permanent. That's part of the sting of death, but it's not. Because of resurrection, we know it's temporary. Almost two years ago, a little over two years ago, March 12th, 2021, I I preached my own dad's funeral. And I cannot tell you how priceless the truth of resurrection was and is to me as I was preaching that funeral. Because, you know, it's preaching at funerals, it's not, wasn't saying farewell, wasn't saying goodbye. Cause of resurrection is saying, good night, I'll see you in the morning. And that just never has left me. I've always believed in resurrection, I've always preached it and taught it and experienced it, you know, the hope of resurrection when people in this church I've loved and do the funeral for, you know, like, like a Roger Metter or Wayman Starr, just so many, I could just name countless names. But it was my dad, you know, that just brought it to a whole nother level of thank you, Jesus. Because I'm guaranteed it's temporary. There'll be that moment when I die or and resurrected eventually in the body and I wake up and there's, there's dad. And we get to hang out forever. That's real because of resurrection. Power, hope over death. Secondly, the resurrection gives us hope over suffering. Again, Laura Vansel, 23 years, she was focused on the hope she had of ultimate healing in Jesus. So whatever you, you have, whatever, if it's chronic pain, chronic illness, disappointed dreams, 
Maybe, maybe things haven't worked out the way you thought they would or hoped they would. Maybe you have a tough marriage. Maybe you're just alone, feel lonely. It's all temporary. Isn't that good news? It's temporary. Paul calls it light and momentary. It's not to make light of our pain. Paul didn't say all this because he lived a charmed life and was free of pain. No, Paul was, man, he was tortured. He was persecuted, abandoned. They tried to stone him. He had a chronic illness. Paul got suffering. But, he said, even the worst of the worst is all light and momentary compared to the way of the glory that's coming in the resurrection. Romans chapter 8 says this from Paul. It says, I consider that the sufferings of the present time are not worth comparing with the glory that's to be revealed to us. So whatever extreme you've experienced suffering, right? Paul says, even to the greater extreme, you're gonna experience glory. So much glory, you don't even remember the suffering. It's kind of funny. So a lot of you know that we had seven kids and my wife had really hard pregnancies. I mean, she was sick, like with one of my kids, she was sick like for nine months, the whole nine months she was Every day, nausea, just vomiting, not to ruin your lunch appetites, but you know, all that nasty stuff, right? I, every day was just horrible. And you know, after like the second kid, which the second one, Rochelle, she's the one, you know, she's an adult now, but you know, she was sick for nine months. But after every kid, she started to get that baby in her arms. Said, all right, this is great. I'm ready to have another one. Like, but did you just forget the misery you went through for nine months? What is the matter with you, right? But it's because when she experienced the glory of the child, she forgot the suffering, right? Then, of course, she would get pregnant again, and the suffering would see, say, why do we do this? What's going on? You know? But no, she never forgot the glory. Just kidding. The glory so far overshadows the suffering. That's just a, a taste of what the glory were going to be revealed to us over the suffering we've experienced. So let her see. The resurrection also gives us the hope to go forward in victory. Love how this ends. It says, the sting of death is sin, the power of sin is the law, but thanks be to God who, gave, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, be immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord, your labor is not in vain. Here's the so what. Because resurrection is true, because Jesus has already attained the victory, we can go out and abound in the Lord's work because we know it's going to be victorious. A few months ago, we set on this adventure of going multi-campus and adopting. Uh, we've adopted one church, about to adopt another one, hopefully, but the one church at Webster Groves, they're meeting today, right? I just got a picture, folks. They have a full house. Yeah, it's awesome. It's great. Why do, we, why do we set out on these adventures? Why do we go forth and try to take gospel to new places? Why do we adopters? Why have we adopted an unreached people group in West Africa, the Fulani, who are entrenched in Islam, even pride themselves because they're the people group that brought Islam to Africa? Why do we do these things? Because we already know we have the victory, right? Because we're going forward in the victory that Jesus has already secured. It's like going in to play a baseball game that you know you're already going to win, right? You go, hey, the pressure's off. Let's just go and let's just have fun and let's just knock the ball out of the park, right? 
We go forth and do God's work because we know it's going to be successful. We know that people's lives are going to be changed. We know that according to the scriptures, that in the resurrection, in that day when we are all in resurrected bodies, gathered around the throne of Jesus, that there's going to be people from every single tribe, every single nation, every single language, all united, praising Jesus. We know we win. Amen? So that's why we do what we do. That's why we're sending teams. It's just been awesome. You know, 2012, we took a first trip to West Africa. Seven years later, 2019, we finally had our first person give their life to Jesus, a teenager who's 18 years old. Four years later, 36 house churches. That's the gospel going forward. Amen? Because Jesus has already won. It's already victorious. That's why we do what we do. That's why you can go to your neighbors in confidence and not have to be scared about just bringing up Jesus. Just talk about Jesus. He's already got the victory. Just talk about him. That's why we gather week in, week out because the gospel's going forward because Jesus has already won. Why? Because he is alive. And he's working in and through the hearts of his people through the Holy Spirit. So as we wrap this up, come and be steadfast, be immovable, abound in the Lord's work. What have you done with the resurrection of Jesus? How do, you, how do you process that? Maybe you're here and you've never trusted in Jesus Christ. What does that ask you? Okay, if you haven't trusted in Christ, why not? What is it about him that you're not ready to go all in? Maybe you're like, well, I just don't know if I believe it all. Okay, well, then how do you explain this historical event of an empty tomb with at least 600 eyewitnesses. What do you do with that? Again, there's no no evidence of a body ever being presented. It's always about why was the tomb empty? How do you explain that? Or maybe you have believed in Jesus and been saved, but you're just really struggling with hope. The resurrection's all about hope. Folks, there's nothing. Just say nothing with me. Nothing. There's nothing we face that's not beyond the power and the hope of Jesus. Nothing. I mean, this church family, this, you name it, there's folks in this church family that have experienced it. I mean, the hard things of life. And I'm not going to get into all the depressing stuff. It's hard, hard stuff. But you know what? Jesus always brings glory to himself through it. He walks with us through really hard times. And he guarantees us they're just temporary. They're just temporary. So many amazing testimonies just in this body of believers of seeing God do great things through the worst of times. Hope. Where are you at with Jesus? Have you ever trusted him as your Lord and Savior? If not, man, what a great day to do it. What a great day to say, Jesus, I am all in. I believe, I trust in you. Romans chapter 10, verse nine says, confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. You will be saved. Not hopefully, not maybe, will. It's definitive. What's holding you back? Give your life to Christ. Or let Jesus give you the hope that you so desperately need. That's why he did what he did. He knows we need hope. He knows it's hopeless without him. So where are you at today? Let's all stand.
Oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I forgot. We got a video, sit back down. <laughs> Good exercise though, right? Yeah. Got this video, I just want to end with this because it, it really brings the clarity of who Jesus is and what an amazing God he is. And he's our king. There's no one like him in all of history. There's no one like him in all of future history. There's only one Jesus, only one king, only one God, only one Lord. And he's the one we get to know in a personal relationship with him. So watch this video.